We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and we've been uh, walking through the book of Philippians, so you can turn there if you've if you got a Bible with you, but uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. We've been walking through the book of Philippians, talking about um, uh, this, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Philippi, and he's been telling them all kinds of things, but basically really revealing to them uh, what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. And uh, the gospel is a change in our thinking, a change in, in the patterns that we, uh, that, that we use, that we normally use to, to think through. And so uh, what he's been really communicating to them is, I want you to think differently. I want you to uh, think in a different way. And so this word phreneo uh, happens over and over again throughout the, the passage, and we've tried to point that out as those come up. But um, in any case, the, the point is this, is that we want our changing to, uh, our, I'm sorry, we want our thinking to change as a result of the scriptures. We want to begin to think differently as a result. If we come to the word and we think, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like the scriptures to affirm everything I already believe, then we're not really submitting to the scriptures. We're asking the scriptures to submit to us. And so we want to submit to the scriptures uh, this morning, especially as we come together. Let me uh, read the passage here. And then we'll, we'll come back to it. I'm going to finish out the passage. We'll see if I preach through all of that. I'm at least going to read it right now so that at least I feel better that I covered more. So uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's talking to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, hey, man, thanks so much for remembering me again. I, I know you'd never forgot me, but now you have the opportunity to help again, and here we are, you're helping me. And so he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, how to abound in every and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I'll just finish this out here. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So this passage is clearly talking about, uh, about some things, but smack dab in the middle of the path, not in the middle of it, but in verse 13, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, if uh, you're aware at all of uh, Philippians 4.13, perhaps you've seen this um, written on the ceiling above a, a, a bench press. You know, I don't, I don't visit one of those very often, but I'm told that it's there. I, I don't really need it. I mean, seriously. Uh, um, 
But, uh, you know, uh, people get them tattooed. I'm sorry if you have the tattoo. Uh, I'm going to rip on you here in a minute. But, um, uh, but you get it, get it tattooed on us, and, and it's used in sports a lot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The problem is that verse is oftentimes taken out of context. In fact, most of the time, I believe that it's taken out of context. It's taken out of context in this way, uh, as it's saying, I can do anything... I can do absolutely anything that I want to do because Christ is strengthening me. Or I can do everything that I could possibly think of if I just have enough faith. If I were that spiritual, I could fly. I could, you know, have a million dollars if I just had the faith. And there are people that are teaching this. It's called prosperity gospel. If you just believe enough, God will give that to you. And that's a lie. That's a lie. The verse is is misused so many times. There's this idea of triumphalism, which kind of goes along with that. That says, you know, I can be superhuman if I so choose to do so. I can be superhuman in uh, everything that I put my mind to and everything that I have uh, faith in will happen. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about something here, but we oftentimes uh, take that verse, we rip it out of context, and we begin to apply it to our lives in the way that we want to. I want to take this verse. It says kind of something that I think sounds good. I'm going to take it out of its context. I'm going to rip it out of the context, and and, and I'm going to apply it to my life out of context to make it say something that it does not say. Now, we might think that it sounds great, but the problem is that we've totally missed the point. And part of the, thing, the, uh, part of the reason why this is so incredibly important is this, this speaks to one of the biggest issues that American culture has, one of the biggest issues that you and I have, and that is that we have this incredible drive in us. If you look at Americans uh, versus the, the rest of the world in, in many respects, it doesn't mean that we're better or what have you, but what it does, what it does mean is that we are different in, in some respects because of the way that our country was created. Uh, we're different in so many respects because there is this drive to make things happen, and I don't know exactly what it is. If you watch the uh, documentary by Ken Burns called uh, The West, it's incredibly fascinating to see what happened as the West was, uh, was being developed, you know, uh, this whole side of the country, really. There's people from all over the world that came to America, and they were entrepreneurial, and so they were gold mining, and they were creating farms, and they were, uh, you know, they were coming out here just to get land and property and, and things of that nature. And so there's, there's this pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps uh, mentality that Americans have. Like, if it, if it doesn't exist, create it. And, and it's not to say that this hasn't happened in other nations and in cultures and things like that, but America has, has, has a lot of this. There's a, an excessive amount of this in some respects. And so this verse, when you take it out of context, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, uh, causes us to believe uh, more fervently in ourselves. It causes us to believe that we can create something out of nothing. And if we want it, we should go after it because Christ is the one who's strengthening me. And so therefore, I'm in the right and Christ is, is with me. And so it's, it's an issue. It's a problem. So let's look at what the actual context is here. 
he, as I said, verse 10, he says, I'm rejoicing that you sent me uh, s- some more help. We don't know what the help is. I, you know, there's probably some finances in there. It could be clothing, could be food, could be all of those things. Paul is in prison, and he's excited to get some stuff. He can't provide for himself there. The only time that he would be able to get things, uh, the only way that he would get uh, any type of food or anything like that is if there were family members or people that were helping him. And so uh, that's, that's a good thing that he's receiving this from this church. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned in every situation uh, that I am in to be content. Like there's this contentedness about him. And I would say that as somebody who, I, I'm, I would say I'm relatively entrepreneurial. I like to start things. Um, I like to do new things. I like to create things, things like that. The idea of being content is not one that I love. Am, am I content to just sit here and like not grow? Am I, not, am I content here to not like expand on, on whatever it is that I'm doing? Whatever it is that, I, that I'm creating or, or what have you. And so like, am I content with that? Oftentimes we say in America, we say, hey, never settle, never settle. You know, if, 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 if this isn't good enough, then go after something else. It's this idea that's ingrained in American culture. It's said at many, many graduation speeches, never settle for second best. Always go after the best. L- listen to what our culture is saying. Our culture is saying over and over again, and we buy into the lie that says that you should never settle for anything other than exactly what you want. Now, is that a true statement? Is that a good statement that we should have? He says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. He says, I know how to be poor. It's not just that he forces himself to be poor. It's that he's poor. He doesn't have a whole lot right now while he's in prison. Or he's brought low in his circumstances as he is uh, beaten or whipped or shipwrecked as the Apostle Paul was so many times. He says, I know how to be brought low, but then he also says something interesting, and that is that he says, I know how to abound. I, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. See, church is really good for those of us who are being brought low. We come to church when we're brought low. And we're committed a lot of times. I'm here every week. I'm here, I'm here every week because I want my circumstances to get better. That's great. What we want to see happen in your life is that you would also know how to abound. That you'd also know how to abound. And understand something about this. Let me move on to the next Next part here. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, that's the second time that the word learned was used. You should take note of that. So in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Uh, The second half of verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The Apostle Paul is asserting something here, and that is that the ability to deal with both loss and gain, to be able to to deal with a little and a lot, the ability to do that is not something that we inherently have. It's something that we have to grow in. 
It's a part of our discipleship. One of the big emphasis that we have right now at Outward Church is that we both want to be disciples and we want to make disciples. And the question is, are we making disciples? Are we making disciples through our community groups? Are we making disciples through the various things that we do? Make no mistake, we're making disciples. We're not making community groups. Make no mistake, we are making disciples. We are not making services that, uh, that rock your head off, you know, with loud music or something. We are discipling people to know Jesus and to walk with him and to create disciples. That's what we're doing. But here's the thing about being a disciple is that oftentimes we say, okay, yeah, I'm a disciple, I'm, 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 I'm a disciple, and, 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 and here's why you should really care about this, is that Jesus doesn't say, go into all the world and get people to pray a prayer with you. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the goal here is not that you would pray a prayer, is not that you would just kind of give intellectual assent to God or something like that, but the goal here is that you would be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, let's say that, you know, there's times that we stumble or whatever. That doesn't mean, okay, I'm not really acting like a disciple right now, so do I lose my salvation? No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that a, di a disciple's life is continually going up. It might be uh, three steps forward, two steps back. It might be anything like that. But a disciple is someone who's growing, and a disciple is somebody who's looking at their life, and they're saying, am I somebody who's learning? Am I learning about Christ? Is Christ being ingrained in my life in such a way that what's happening is that the things of this world are losing their value? I'm not talking about entering into some type of depression or something like that. I'm saying that they're losing ultimate value. It doesn't mean that a car or a house or a wife or a, 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 a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, uh, or anything like this, a great job, doesn't mean that these are not good things from God to be enjoyed. What it means is that they're not ultimate things. A disciple is somebody who's growing and understanding that I actually have things in my life that I believe are of ultimate value. I hold them as ultimate. I mean, just to give you an example, it's, it's, uh, it's my wife, my kids. I mean, I was convicted by a statement, I think, by, by John Piper just uh, the last couple of weeks sometime. And that means, and, and that is this, that, that when Christ comes before spouse and kids, and I value and I love Christ even above those incredible things, that is when I'm really understanding what it means that Christ is all, that he's everything. So really, my heart is contented by the most beautiful things in my life, the most near and dear things to in my life. As a pastor, I despise people in ministry that do not value, I shouldn't despise them, that's probably sinful, but I'll just say it anyway, because uh, that's what's true, but uh, I, I despise it when somebody sacrifices their family on the altar of ministry. It infuriates me. How dare you sacrifice your wife and your kids for what you're doing for God? You're really not doing anything for God. You're creating a horrible example for your family. And you're, you're really not doing anything of, of value because you haven't taken care of the first church that God gave you, the first ministry, the first place for you to pastor. And that's true for anybody that's not just pastors. That's true for anybody. 
But here's the thing, is that I am just as contented with my wife and kids and family and house as they are with ministry, so I should despise myself. I must not despise those things, but I have to look at what is contenting me, what causes me to be content in life. When I wake up in the morning and I'm anxious and I'm going, man, I, I just... I don't know what I want to do today. I, 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 I am, I'm very much driven by projects. Like, I, I have to have a project that I'm getting onto, and if I can't figure out what I'm going to do, and, I, and then nothing's been lined up already, man, it just puts me in a bad mood. I'm contented by being busy. I'm contented by those things. What are you contented by? Listen, the process of becoming a disciple or growing as a disciple is learning It is learning. It is learning in whatever situation to be content. What's your station in life right now? What job are you at? What spouse do you have? How much money do you have? What what kinds of things are in your life right now that you are discontent with? Now, make no mistake, it is driving against our culture to say, you know what, I'm going to be content with the place that God has me. Because people don't understand it. Especially people that do not have Christ as their all, as their everything. And there's a reason for that. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I, in every... In, In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things on my own. I got it covered. It's all all me. I I have learned the secret, and that is I have amazing willpower. I have amazing willpower, and you should too. You should have amazing willpower so that you can be as good as I am because I'm a pastor and I don't have regular people problems. You know, this is satire, by the way. Uh, uh, I, I can do all things through my own strength. That's also called stoicism. It's a lie. It's false. There's many people in our world that are just incredibly good at being very well-disciplined. And so they, they, they clench their fists and they grit their teeth and they say, I'm going to do this. And there are amazing stories like that. It's, it's amazing how God has created the human body. But in order to be able to not be contented by the things of this world, to be able to deal with not just the low times, but the high times, I must, I need another power source. I need another power source. I can do all things not through myself, not through other things, not through the power of positive thinking, not through any of these things. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It is, it is Christ, it is him, it, it is his indwelling in my life that allows me to be able to be contented only in him and only because of him. He's the one that's allowing me to do this. Now, here's the thing, is that uh, very frequently, like I said in the beginning here, we come to church or we come to God or we say, God, if you just get me out of this situation, I will whatever. 
I'll work with orphans for the rest of my life, and I'll tell them all about the good news, and, and you know, I'll go anywhere as a missionary. I'll do, and it, we make these promises to God. We say, if you just get me out of this situation. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that you don't just need help when things are going badly. You need help when things are going greatly. You, you and I need just as much help, in fact, maybe more help than when things are going poorly. See, it's easy to connect with God when things are going poorly. It's easy for my wife and I to pray together when, uh, when it's like, oh, crud. And we had a couple of those moments as we were remodeling our house. There was probably more than a couple, I'm lying. But, they, I mean, there were moments where it was just like, this has got to happen or we're in trouble kind of a deal. It's easy to pray during those circumstances. But when the house is done, when you do have the job, when you finally get the spouse, when you get the promotion, when you win the lottery, when you, all of those things, how easy is it to connect with God? He says he's learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, he has learned this secret. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this. It's a movie and then a book called The Secret. It focuses on the idea that you create the world that you live in. You create the circumstances of your life, as I understand it. It's the idea that, like, if you have positive thinking, the positive things are going to happen to you. You've got to visualize that you're going to have these things. Very closely related to uh, prosperity gospel. Believe. Believe that you're going to receive this and you will receive it. That's prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. That's not true. But this idea of you're going to get things if you just believe those things. This is kind of saying something different. Like the secret is not that I, if I just think more positively, then good things will take place. The secret is dealing with the circumstances that we have. The secret is found in uh, having the power source to be able to deal with the circumstances that we have and be able to uh, operate in them, to be able to function when things are horrible, to go on living when you've, when you've received everything that you've ever wanted. How is it that the people that have received more fame, more money, more power than they even wanted, when, when they, they get the large paycheck, or they, they finally get what they're, what they're after. How is it that they are the most miserable people? We hear about it incessantly. We hear about it constantly. That when you get the thing that you've always wanted, the lie that you've always believed is shown for what it is, and that is, it is not enough. It's not enough. You're, when you get there, it's not enough. The thing that you have in your mind of someday I'd like to own a house or someday I'd, I'd like to be married or someday I would like to, uh, you know, what, excel in my job or start a business or, um, you know, start this big thing or whatever it is. I remember early on how, thinking for years and years because t 10 years prior, before, uh, prior uh, to us starting the church, I had this idea of, man, I would love to start this thing. How amazing would it be? And then I got to the point where finally God kind of brought about all these circumstances that I almost didn't even feel like I, could, I, I had orchestrated. And so the church began. It had been something that I had dreamed about for 10 years. 
And I got there, and I remember saying to someone, I, I, I said, you know, people really think that it's really great to, like, start something new or to finally be in charge or all of these things, but I just don't think of it that way. I think of it in, in a way that's just kind of like it's everyday life again. And it's not that I'm not excited about it, that I'm not excited about what God is doing, but I, I, I couldn't quite understand what was going on in my heart, and that is I had a discontentment that was driving me. Now, I don't believe that the, the church is based on some huge lie or something like that, but I'm still human. And so I thought that this thing would really fulfill me, and God was showing me even starting something for me, even just starting that is never going to be enough to fulfill you, Matt. So you can even be into really incredible God things. You can be into ministry. You can make it your world. You can make it the thing that you get and that you derive all of your contentment from. And it still isn't enough. And your dreams are dashed to pieces because you've believed the lie that if I just get there, then everything would be just fine. Everything would be just great. If, now, compare that to what our world is telling you. Never settle. Never settle. Go after it. Go, go get it. Go get yours. The lie says this. If you get that, you'll finally be happy. And repeatedly, it is proved wrong over and over and over again. So it's not just how we do with the bad things, but it's how we do with the good things. It's not just how we're dealing with being in need. Like, it's easy to be dependent on God when we're in need, but how are we dependent on God when we have abundance? Let's just think about that. When we have abundance, when we have more than enough, how are we going to stay connected with God? I've, I've, but then I go back to, in my own mind, I've, I've thought about this over and over again, is that as a disciple, like, at any point, God could take whatever he wants away from me, whatever he wants. And so I have these conversations with God because I'm, I'm, I, I feel incredibly blessed, but like I said, as with my family, with my wife, and um, with, you know, a house that I was able to remodel, and I think to myself that, like, what would I do if any of those things went away? Am I content in Christ enough that I wouldn't, say, curse him and say, I want to die? Am I content enough that I would say, you know what? It was good and it's, it's sad. But, Lord, this is what you've brought me. I mean, any one of those things would be horrific. But at the same time, am I content enough? Let me ask you that. What in your life, if you lost it today, would absolutely devastate you? And could you honestly say that you have contentment in Christ? That you are content in Him? Could you honestly say that? Could you honestly sense that? The way towards cultivating contentment in Christ in your life 
um, not just when you have abundance, but when you have a need, is to strip away the idea that this is the thing that I'm dependent on. So you have to find a way to rip that away from your heartstrings. So Paul says here in verse 14, well, let's skip to 16. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. We were talking earlier about what it means to be a disciple and that, it, that over a season of, uh, of time, the Apostle Paul had learned how to release himself from those things. And so Paul says here, and I think this is a glimpse into, in, into what he's saying, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It, it says this. It says, I give away the things that are most dear to me to ensure that Christ is most dear to me. I give away the things that are most dear to me in order to show and to prove to myself that Christ is most dear to me. Look at the big ones, money, sex, and power. I, it's easy with, it's not easy to give with, with money, but let's just say, let's start with money. It's, it's kind of one of the most obvious there. I give away money so that I can show two things. When I give away finances, when I give away the thing that I think really brings me the most contentment, whether I'm poor or whether I'm rich, when I give away proportionally what God has given to me, when I give that away, what it's saying is this. It's, it's not about the money. It's about the fruit that's going to increase by me saying, this is not the number one thing in my life. As you gain more wealth and you give a larger percentage away, it begins to hurt more. It begins to hurt more uh, because what you see is that these are, it, it could be a large amount of money that you're giving away. But what's, what's happening in your heart is that you're disentangling the discontentment that our world says when it says never settle. It's saying back to our world, how dare you? How, how dare you tell me that my money defines who I am and that I won't be content without it? I am content in Christ. Christ is my contentment. So we give away our money to disentangle our lives from it. And Paul says, I don't even care about the money. What I care about is the fruit in your life. I care about you becoming a greater disciple who's able to disciple other people towards contentment. Let's look at sex for a second. Not literally. Uh, when I give away sex, how do we give away sex? We give away what our world says that we should have. It says, anybody, anytime, anywhere, any reason. When I say, I give up my rights, I give that away, I'm disentangling my life 
from what the world says is go after exactly what you want. Get whatever you want whenever you want it. I'm disentangling my life. And so I'm saying this. I'm saying I am content with the station in life that God has me. It may be single and, yes, sexless. And yet you have Christ as a disciple. I may be married, but I'm giving up my so-called worldly rights to remain faithful to my spouse as I give my spouse what they deserve, which is my undevoted attention to them. And I'm not giving that same attention or physical intimacy with anybody else. I give that up. I'm disentangling my life. And I'm saying, the wife that I have, the wife of my youth, the husband that I have, is the one that God has given me. And I'm disentangling my life from this world. I'm taking, that, I'm taking this back. And then power. It's giving up our power. Instead of using our power to condemn or to rule over others or to be domineering in your marriage relationship, men or women, by the way, could do that. Men more often do that. But I give up, I give up my power. I give away my power. And I, and I, and I give up the, my, what my so-called worldly white rights to express myself and get angry. Or I give up my, my worldly rights in whatever way that looks like so that I can disentangle my life and I can live content with what God has given me. How are you with contentment? Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He says in the next verse, he said, I, I've received more than enough. And then he says at the end, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He's talking to the, the, the believers in, in Philippi. And he's saying, I, I want to see the fruit of your life increase. And I'm seeing that with the way that you've been giving, the way that you've been blessing. And that's incredible. Make no mistake about it. Like, this is sacrifice. How is the Christian life? How is your discipleship? How is your walk with Jesus not most influenced by this idea of contentment? It is so influenced. I mean, I could, every sermon I could basically say, this is the most important thing. But this time I mean it. This is the most important thing. The, like, contentment in Christ is everything. And so we sing a lot of songs, and we, we, we say a lot of things to God, and some of those things we might say to ourselves, I'm not sure that I believe that. But listen, as we gather as a church, we come together, and as we're out, out and about, and we're singing these songs, what we're saying is we're saying, I want to believe that. Christ, I want you to be my all. I want you to be everything. I believe these things. I want to believe them about who you are. 
I want to believe that you have the unsearchable riches that my heart desires, that you have everything that I need. I want to believe that. And look at this, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Like that almost seems like prosperity gospel in a way. Like the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, when you disentangle your life and you let go of those things, you're going to see fruit in your life. You're going to grow as a disciple. That is a sacrifice. And as you're sacrificing, what God's going to do for you is that God is going to supply your needs. Is he going to supply your wants? He might but he's gonna supply your needs. And I don't know what that looks like. I've told you a ton of stories about how God has supplied for us over the years when things were meager, when things were tight. And God just continually has has blessed in those ways. And so we wanna be a, a blessing in return. But it's, he's saying, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, do you see, do you believe that the unsearchable riches are in Christ Jesus, or do you believe that they are in this world? The unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus, the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians. I mean, it, it's, it's one of the amazing things. It's like nobody can fathom how amazing it is. Nobody can necessarily even understand it. But think about this. Every want, every desire, everything that you could possibly desire that is good for you is in Christ. It is in Christ alone. He's made it possible by going to the cross and through his resurrection. His riches are made available to you. Now, why is this important? Because, ladies and gentlemen, you were not created to have infinite sex, to have infinite finances, to have infinite whatever. Your desires are infinite in magnitude, and they go so far beyond what finances are. They go so far beyond sex. They go so far beyond a job or any type of accomplishment. The reason why we come to a place of depression when we get everything that we wanted, the reason why people, when they, when they get the lottery, destroy their lives Virtually every single time that somebody wins the lottery, they destroy their life with their finances. It's because it never satisfies because you were created with infinite desires that could never be touched by a billion dollars. That could never be touched by infinite sex. They they could never be touched by the thing that you want. The thing that you want, the thing that you're discontent about, will only be resolved in Christ. And as you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, and as you grow in that, the thing that you are going to see above all is that Christ is everything. 
that he is everything, that he's absolutely everything that, could, that you could possibly imagine. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want contentment in Christ? I don't have time to go into this, but do you remember the story of Jesus being taken out to the desert? He's baptized, and then he's whisked out to the desert by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And he's repeatedly tempted with, hey, if you're hungry, why don't you make these rocks into food? Hey, if you want this, then do this. Bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. The temptation that Jesus endured from Satan is the temptation that you and I sense every single day. It is the same temptation. Do not be content in Christ is what our temptation is, is telling us. Be content in the things of this world. I have to tell you this. How does Jesus respond? He responds with Scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Over and over again, he goes into Scripture. He's saying, God is the one who provides. He is one. I will never look to you. Do you realize that what it means to be a kingdom citizen being a kingdom citizen means this. It means letting go of all of the distractions, the things that are vying for your time, that are vying for your desire, they're, they're vying for your contentment. It's trying to cause you to be discontent. All of those things, they're dragging you away. They're enticing you. They're keeping you not just from more time with God or a little bit of money for, you know, out of my tithe or something like that. No, it's for, it's for your heart. It's for your very heart. You, that Satan is able to get at us. My wife and I, sometimes we say, you know, it's the end of the month and we're, you know, so it's kind of cheap, you know, cheap food at, uh, at Costco. And so, you know, it'd be kind of fun to go get like a dollar hot dog or whatever it is they have there or something. And then, and then we could just like browse through Costco. And th then the, the next thing that comes out of our mouth is, that's a horrible idea, right? Because we never walk through Costco and just not buy anything. It's never just a hot dog, Right? Isn't it? I mean, that's their plan, isn't it? Entice you with a hot dog so that you come buy lots of crap, right? The brilliant marketing scheme. You want a hot dog? <laughs> I know you do. How did I get onto that? Um, this is a horrible closing to a sermon. Our entire world is designed that way. You, you want a hot dog. You know that you do. Just, just, just come in and have a hot dog. Oh, you know what? There's a $400 sofa that you need as well. I mean, I, it's amazing how that jumps up. We are so inclined towards that. We are so inclined towards that. Is Christ everything to you? 
Or is your contentment found in everything that you could desire? Guys, that is what being a disciple of Jesus Christ is. By faith in him, going to the cross for us, dying an excruciating death and being resurrected from, from the dead, he enables us to live a new life that is free to be content in Christ, whether we have much or whether we have little. Remember that. Let's pray. Lord, the entanglements in our lives, all of these distractions that are just constantly after us, that are just vying for your place in our life. Lord God, we are asking that you would strengthen us in the inner man and in the inner woman to not allow these things to be our sole source of contentment. Lord, we are, we are vying for something. Lord, would you show us what it looks like to hope in you and not in our circumstances? and not in our stuff, and not in our job, not in our current or future spouse, but, Lord, to hope only in you. Lord, would you show us that? Lord, would you convict us of that? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.